0: I talked to my friend and best supporter my wife and I've talked to many of you my friends and staff members and I've decided that a prolonged election controversy would hurt Alabama would hurt the very people that we've worked so hard to help and like you I can't be a part of any process that's going to hurt our state and hurt the people that we love so much now this decision has not been easy and it has been painful it's been painful in part because i feel like i'm letting you down letting my supporters down but i truly believe that it would hurt alabama more to put alabama through this divisive process so for the good of the state of alabama for the good of our people, I am tonight dropping my request for a recount. Congressman Riley,
1: Alabama, will be November Alabama 18th, State's 2002. Governor. After two weeks of bitter dispute, Don Siegelman, the last Democratic governor of the state, finally concedes this year's election to his Republican opponent, Bob Riley. On election night, Initial vote tallies appeared to give a narrow victory to Don Siegelman. Many Alabamians went to bed that night, assuming the governor had been narrowly re-elected. But at midnight, officials in Baldwin County reported a computer error that overcounted Siegelman's total there by 6,000 votes. That error was fixed, and the election was suddenly reversed. Today, the 2002 election is mostly a settled issue. Bob Riley went on to easily win re-election four years later, and the Republicans would then take control of all three branches of state government by 2010, bringing an end to Alabama's brief existence as a two-party state. But some Democrats there still believe that there was more to the Baldwin County results than just a computer error. Some believe, with good reason, that the 2002 election in Alabama was stolen in the middle of the night. I'm Patrick Winninger. And this is a conspiracy you can believe in. this series, I'm going to be talking about conspiracies. And I don't mean things like lizard people or aliens building the pyramids. I mean plausible explanations to unsolved mysteries or conspiracies that we can reasonably believe actually did happen. I decided to produce something about the subject because I'm sure we've seen a lot of talk in the media lately about conspiracy theories, why people believe them, and I think it's important to ask why people believe in things like QAnon or vaccines causing autism, and I agree that most conspiracy theories are at best distractions and at worst, actively harmful. I am skeptical of the vast majority of them. But I have noticed a little bit of an overcorrection in the way that some people talk about the issue. Some people take it as a mark of a very serious person to doubt almost any conspiracy. They think that most of what we perceive as nefarious plots can be explained as coincidence, or that most people in power are simply too incompetent to carry out an effective conspiracy. Usually, these people are probably right, but not always. Wealthy and powerful people plot to break the law all the time, and they often get away with it. Governments and corporations have knowingly committed serious crimes throughout their history. To not believe in any conspiracy is to me almost as gullible as believing in all of them. So on this show, I plan to talk about a few cases throughout history where it's not so crazy to question the official story of what happened, or where we know for a fact something sinister did occur. I'm not an expert in anything, I'm just doing this as a hobby, so just take everything that I say with a grain of salt. But I will do my best to provide evidence for anything that I claim is a conspiracy or likely is one. So let's get started. In this first episode, we're talking about the allegedly stolen 2002 election in Alabama, which is my own home state. We should probably start with a little bit of background because I'm assuming most of you are not from Alabama. So here's a little bit of what was going on in Alabama in the late 90s, early 2000s. It might surprise you to hear that an election in Alabama could be that close. But at this period of time, the Democratic Party in the South was still alive and well. In fact, Democrat Don Siegelman won his first election for governor in 1998 in a landslide. His Republican opponent, Governor Fobb James, had once been a Democrat himself, but then reinvented himself in the 90s as a right-wing culture warrior. Now, I wish I could do a whole episode about Fob James. I think he's a fascinating figure, but unfortunately, there's no conspiracy theories about him that I know of. If you do know of any Fob James conspiracy theories, please get in touch with me. I would love any excuse to talk about Fob James. I love saying the name Fob James. I just think he's a really interesting, very strange man. But suffice it to say, James's increasingly erratic behavior drew the ire of the state's business community. In one embarrassing episode in 1995, Fobb mocked the theory of evolution in front of the entire state school board by slumping his, his arms to the ground and walking across the stage like an ape. Big business interests thought his antics were scaring off investment from outside the state, so they backed a patrician Republican to primary him. When that didn't work, They backed the Democrat in the general election. This was Don Siegelman. Now, a little bit about Siegelman. He was a Democrat, but I wouldn't call him a liberal in any sense of the word as we understand it today. He was very much an establishment figure in Alabama. He was the state's attorney general, the lieutenant governor. He'd been in office for a long time. Now, he started his career as a state coordinator for George McGovern's 1972 campaign. But, like a lot of Democrats his age in the South, he moved to the right soon after the early 70s. By 1998, Siegelman saw the Democratic Party in the South was losing support among middle-class whites, so he purposefully engineered his campaign to avoid almost all cultural or racial issues. Siegelman did not often mention racism and he almost never discussed religion. This is very unusual for elections in Alabama, but like my family, and unlike almost all of the state, Don Siegelman was a Roman Catholic. This is never something he mentioned on the campaign trail. Also, his wife and kids were Jewish, which was something he definitely never brought up. Siegelman's centerpiece issue instead was designed to appeal to as many people as possible without ever touching on religious or racial issues. It was a lottery, a state-run gambling corporation that would fund college scholarships for Alabama residents and fill the coffers of the state's chronically underfunded education system, but without raising taxes. He defeated Fob James by 16 points in the election. Governing was not so easy for him, however. In 1999, Siegelman's statewide referendum on the lottery failed by almost the same margin that he won the election. Though he was elected on a state-run lottery, the referendum faced stiff opposition from the Alabama Christian Coalition and also tribal groups who were represented by lobbyist Jack Abramoff. That's probably another episode altogether. Siegelman did not run on tax increases. And he seemed unwilling to push for any constitutional reforms that would shift the tax burden from the state's working class to the rich. Some sources claim that in an exasperated moment just before the referendum on the lottery, he claimed that if it failed, he, quote, had no plan B. It certainly seemed like that was the case. By 2002, Siegelman had a formidable opponent in Republican Bob Riley. A former congressman, Riley hammered Siegelman on questionable no-bid contracts given to the governor's friends for state infrastructure spending. In turn, Siegelman responded with a newfound message of economic populism. He started attacking Riley's corporate-friendly voting record in the House, started calling for reforms of the state's outdated conservative constitution, and then also for another try at the state lottery really was starting to seem like he had no plan B. But still, in the days leading up to the election night, it was a toss-up. Siegelman was an incumbent, and he had not embarrassed the state on a national level, which counts for a lot in Alabama. But Riley was a likable Republican, in a state where that party was getting increasingly popular. Plus, the accusations of corruption against Siegelman were starting to gain purchase with voters, It really could have gone either way, but here's how it did happen on Tuesday, November the 5th. That evening, the results of the election were down to the wire. The race depended on the results from Baldwin County, which is a conservative stronghold on the coast near Florida. If you know where Mobile is, it's just across the bay from Mobile. Now, Siegelman didn't have to win here, he just had to have a good enough margin to keep his lead alive. And thankfully, there was a third-party conservative candidate, a libertarian named John Sophocles, and yes, that was his real name, who could have peeled off some votes from Riley. And that evening, at 11.04 p.m., the official report came from Baldwin. 31,052 votes for Riley, 19,070 for Siegelman. This was just enough for Siegelman to win the state by a margin of 3,120 votes. He declared victory at a campaign party in Montgomery, the Associated Press called the election for him, and it seemed like he was reelected. But then, about an hour later, things changed. Officials in Baldwin County now claimed that their initial vote tally, which was delivered to media outlets via a computer printout, was incorrect. Due to a computer glitch, the printout showed more votes for Siegelman by mistake. Perhaps even more votes than existed in the county altogether. The data cartridges from voting machines were run through the courthouse computer a second time, and the results were changed. Now, it was 12,736 for Siegelman, Riley still with 31,052. This time... It was just enough to put Riley over the top by 3,195 votes. Riley declared victory. Both men claimed to be the next governor of Alabama, but the legal certification of the election was already set in motion. The day after the election, November the 6th, probate judge James Reed confirmed the second set of results, the ones that favored Riley. Siegelman complained in a news conference that day that, quote, sometime after midnight, after all the poll watchers were sent home, a small group there decided to recount the votes a third time. No watchers legally entitled to be present were notified, and then a different total was established. According to Siegelman, the vote was manipulated. But Riley insisted that this was no election fraud. That the error had been in reporting of the results, not in counting the votes. He called Siegelman's claims of foul play, quote, absolutely ridiculous. He knows it. The people in Baldwin County know it, and I know it. By November the 7th, Siegelman's legal team vowed to fight for a recount. Now, this is important. At this time, there were no laws in the state of Alabama triggering an automatic recount those laws would be added to the state code in 2007, and the method to call a recount was expensive and complicated. Siegelman's team would have to pay for a bond to challenge the results in each one of the state's 67 counties. What they vowed not to do was threaten a lawsuit against the entire state. Keep in mind, this was shortly after the 2000 election controversy, and this was a state that Bush easily won that year. The memories over the recount fight between Bush and Gore were bitter and fresh. Siegelman felt that he had to step lightly. On Friday, November 8th, Republican State Attorney General Bill Pryor dealt the recount effort a serious blow. Now, no county could break the seal on the ballot boxes without a judge's order or without an election contest filed with the state legislature. Neither of these options were going to be possible anytime soon. Now, some counties did defy Bill Pryor's order as undemocratic. Baldwin County was not among them. For the next week, the battle raged in the courts and the media. Siegelman's supporters claimed that the tallies from Baldwin County changed after courthouse staff left, and that the only people present for the new results were Republican appointees, who had the results approved and protected from a recount by Republican state officials. Republicans countered that the law was on their side, that the Attorney General had already released his opinion, and what's more, the Associated Press performed an analysis showing that the initial vote totals favoring Siegelman would have been a major statistical outlier, but a little more on that later. The totals had already been certified, and it looked like it would be a huge legal battle to overturn them. Rather than take on the tremendous cost and political risk of challenging the election, on November 18th, Don Siegelman conceded, claiming that, quote, a prolonged election controversy would hurt Alabama. Siegelman abandoned his recount battle after 12 days. Bob Riley would become governor and would be reelected in 2006 by a wide margin. By 2010, the Alabama state legislature would have a Republican majority for the first time since Reconstruction, as it still does to this day. This was the beginning of the end of the Democratic party in Alabama. But did it have to be that way? If the state actually carried out a thorough recount of the paper ballots in Baldwin County, would Siegelman get re-elected? The allegation and it is a serious allegation that some Democrats in the state leveled at the Alabama Republican Party, was that the vote totals in Baldwin were manipulated electronically. It's certainly suspicious that Baldwin County produced two different sets of results on election night. But how probable is it that this conspiracy theory is actually true? Let's weigh the possibilities here. The Republicans point to several factors in their favor. For one, Baldwin County leans very Republican, and I mean that even for Alabama. And George W. Bush did campaign for Riley and other Republicans in the state that year, which probably boosted his numbers. There's also that Associated Press analysis that showed the first results to be a huge statistical outlier. One eyewitness at the courthouse when both sets of results were released was Sheriff's Captain Martin Ussery. He claims to have watched the votes tallied the entire time and that he noticed something wrong with the results when the libertarian candidate John Sophocles was drawing more votes than either the Republican or the Democrat. He ran the cards from the ballot machines into the computer again and quickly informed the media that that first set of results was incorrect. usury then shredded the first set of results to prevent any further confusion with the second set. Although he did admit to the Tuscaloosa News years later that shredding those results, quote, conjures up all sorts of things about votes. Having an eyewitness in their corner who swears there was no tampering does help the Republicans' case that Riley actually did win fair and square. However, it should be noted that Martin Ussery was an employee of the Baldwin County Sheriff who was on the ballot that night. This sheriff was a Republican. Now, Captain Ussery was there that night, and I wasn't, so I'm not accusing him directly of lying but this is not an ideal situation for certifying a free and fair election people on the ballot or their direct employees should not be literally counting the votes now let's take a look at the theory that the election was stolen most of the people who believe the votes were manipulated point to two key things a there were two different sets of official results from baldwin county and B, there was never a recount of paper ballots, and in fact the Republicans opposed one vociferously. One expert who believes the votes were tampered with is Auburn University sociology professor and demographer Dr. James Gunlock. In a paper he wrote in 2003, Gunlock laid out evidence that shows the results could have been tampered with, as well as ways that a bad actor could have carried it out. For one, Gunlock cites the mere existence of two different sets of official results as proof that the votes were compromised. According to Gunlock, voting computers are incapable of producing two different sets of results on their own by accident, and this can only be the result of human interference. I will note here that Election Systems and Software, the company who made the machines in question, claimed there was no activity in the system that suggested tampering. However, Since there has never been a recount of the paper ballots in Baldwin, we just have to take their word for it. Gunlack goes on to point out that if the second set of results was correct, Baldwin County would still be a statistical outlier in terms of the Republican margin of victory compared to other counties, and that's even for a conservative stronghold. The official explanation for this second set of vote results was a computer glitch producing an overcount of votes for Siegelman in a single precinct of Baldwin County, Magnolia Springs. Gunlack's explanation is a little more interesting. In his theory, whoever manipulated the vote totals did so by calculating one-fifth of Siegelman's votes from each precinct in the county, then taking them from Siegelman and adding them to Riley's total. However, making a copy-paste error in a spreadsheet could cause the user to add that extra one-fifth back to Siegelman other than Riley. Once they noticed the error, the vote totals were revised with a second set of results. Now, if this happened, the real results from Baldwin County would actually be 27,866 for Riley and 15,283 for Siegelman, meaning Siegelman would narrowly win the election statewide by just under 3,000 votes. But how would someone change the results like this? Gunlock offers a few suggestions, but the most likely seems to be having an operative inside the courthouse install a network card and enabling software on the tabulating computer, then using a laptop in another room to alter the results. And if what Gunlock says is true, then who was it that manipulated the results? Freelance reporter Glenn Wilson was covering that election for the New York Times that night, and he was in the Baldwin County seat of Bay Minette on November 5th. Wilson's sources claim that a top Bob Riley aide named Dan Gans, and again, this is a situation where I have to say that is his real name, was in the courthouse that night and had access to the tabulating computer and was very focused on the final results of the race. Now, I don't know much about Glenn Wilson, and we know nothing about who his source was. But what we do know is this. Gans was a lobbyist for Alexander Strategy Group, a now-defunct firm with ties to lobbyist and felon Jack Abramoff, who was active in a fraud scheme involving Alabama politics at this time. Gans was also on the staff of Bob Riley's campaign. I don't think that this is sufficient evidence to say that he was the likely culprit, but his associations do make me pretty suspicious of him, as well as the Riley campaign in general. So there we have it. One eyewitness account, an expert opinion claiming the election wasn't stolen, and expert opinion and a second-hand account claiming it was. So which is it? Ultimately, we cannot say for sure one way or the other one of the things about conspiracy theories is they're just that theories the election results were controversial specifically because they were never fully investigated so i can't tell you definitively what happened what i can tell you is what i suspect and i suspect that the results in baldwin county were manipulated and the 2002 election was stolen I'm not positive that Gunlack is correct when he says it's impossible for the tabulating computer to produce two different sets of results. I don't know much about voting machine software. But any voter should feel confident in saying that what happened in Baldwin County is extremely suspect. The Alabama Republican Party claimed that the first set of results, the ones that favored Siegelman, remember, were unofficial and were only used for media purposes. But the results were official they were printed out from the tabulating machine and given to the press by the sheriff's captain they just weren't certified by a probate judge yet it's still an open question as to why exactly the baldwin county courthouse was producing two completely different sets of election results in the middle of the night when only republican officials were present and since there was never any recount of the paper ballots that important question can never be answered. We also don't have much information on what the computer glitch was that caused the supposedly erroneous first set of results. Now perhaps that information exists somewhere and I missed it, but in my research for this episode, I couldn't find any reports of what the computer error was exactly, just that there was one. Election Systems and Software, the voting machine manufacturers, insist that their records show nobody altered any vote totals after the first set of results, But if we take their word for it, we also have to accept that a critical software glitch on their own software caused a reversal of an entire state election. I can't put much confidence in the voting machine manufacturer here. Like I said, the only way to know for sure would be a full recount of the ballots in Baldwin County, something that Republicans fought every step of the way. It's not just me who suspects the election was stolen. In 2005, during an interview with the Tuscaloosa News, Don Siegelman himself admitted that he believed the votes were manipulated. He actually cited James Gunlock's research to back up his opinion, but he also claimed that since the Republican Party controlled the state Supreme Court, any attempt at a recount would probably be a huge waste of time and money. Siegelman would eventually be convicted and sentenced to six years in prison for bribery in 2006, for appointing HealthSouth CEO Richard Scrushy to a state hospital certification board in exchange for a political donation. These charges and the trial itself were mired in controversy, and many observers believe that they were politically motivated. But that's a story for another episode. Alabama is still living with the effects of the 2002 election to this day. There has never been a Democratic governor in the state since Siegelman's term, And it hasn't even been close. And since 2010, Republicans controlled all three branches of state government. If you ask me, I think Don Siegelman's political moderation played a role in his inability to secure a recount. Think about it. In 1998, in his first election, Siegelman made a choice to focus his campaign on the desires of white swing voters and big business, and put all of his hopes on a state lottery. He took for granted that he would capture the vast majority of the state's African-American vote, which he did, but he also didn't want to anger affluent white voters with tax increases. Now, Siegelman knew that the education system desperately needed funding, so the state lottery, with no tax increases, seemed to be an ideal method for pleasing all parts of the voter base that elected him. But then it failed. And when it failed, Siegelman, in his own words, had no plan B. In choosing to avoid controversy by shying away from racial issues or balking at reforming the state's Jim Crow-era tax structure, Siegelman never earned the base of dedicated supporters that he would need for a long recount battle. No one seemed willing to take to the streets for Don Siegelman. He insured his first election by avoiding fights over controversial issues. But when the second election was stolen from him in the middle of the night, There was nobody there to fight for him. This has been the first episode of Conspiracy You Can Believe In. I hope you'll join me for the next one, where I'll talk about the assassination of Swedish Prime Minister Olaf Palma. Thanks for listening.